0: So welcome back to another beautiful Sunday. Um, I absolutely love, uh, my wife says that she loves the dandelions. I'm, I'm kind of back and forth. I love them at times. I, I don't love them at times. I know that there are mixed feelings in the crowd about them. She loves them, uh, and she loves the flowers and the color. Uh, it is a beautiful, beautiful week. Uh, last week, if you were with us during Mother's Day, we actually were finishing up uh, Ephesians chapter 3. We looked at the words of Paul through his closing prayer as he was actually praying for the church at the time. And actually, through them, he was also praying for us as well. He was really looking at, uh, and we talked about, uh, the attitude that is modeled for us really by the mother figures in our lives, both uh, the humility that they have shown us and and the prayer lives that they have given and shown us to follow. Last week, we spent most of our time actually looking at Jesus' own thoughts on prayer as we looked heavily at prayer and the effective prayer life that we can have. We looked at the very specific areas that could hinder our prayers if we don't look at them and and pay attention Uh, and we also looked at those same areas how they could fundamentally change our lives if we chose to abide by them and there were 10 of them that we looked at now prayer is ultimately it's a conversation with God is really what it is Uh, it is our 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 lifeline our telephone line to our heavenly father now we saw that our prayer life is greatly affected in all reality by the way that we treat those around us Uh, as as Jesus Christ made that very clear. And for this reason, we found uh, that God has, has laid forth what he expects for us because he wants us to be his hands and feet while we're here on this earth. We are to be his mouthpiece, to be serving and to be a representative for him. Now, God has expectations for us as his children, and this is a reference back to our memory verse, which is a fun time. So, here, can you say this with me? It says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love. Now, this week, we've been talking about this verse for the last several weeks. And we looked at the book of Ephesians, and this is our memory verse, we're actually going to be covering these very verses this week. So we're finally going to break these down. Most of our sermon time will actually be breaking down these very words uh, to look at Paul's true direction for us. He calls us to live godly lifestyles, and that are defined by both our words and by our actions. Today, obviously, the title of the message is Let This Mind, as in Let This Mind Be in You, which we'll actually be covering that verse as well. Uh, But the three points that we have today are Paul's math skills. Yes, we're going to be looking at Paul's math skills. Uh, Then we're going to be looking at God's character, your body, God's character, your body. And then finally, the last part is becoming one. He's actually going to be talking about a oneness with God, and we'll kind of work our way through that passage as well. So the first one is Paul's math skills. And you're probably like, what in the world? I don't know that there's addition in the Bible. There is actually. So early in the passage here in Ephesians chapter four, you're actually going to see that there's a word therefore at the very beginning. Um, He says, uh, a therefore, and when I was in college, I was always told whenever you see a therefore, you're always supposed to ask, what is it there for? You see, the word therefore is actually a connective word. I mean, it takes what has previously been stated, kind of sums it up, and then points towards what is coming. So he's actually got a connective word here right at the very beginning, almost like an equal sign in a math problem. And it actually pulls everything together for us. It points us to the answer. Now, to Paul, uh, his equation, uh, you have to know what he ended the last chapter with. In the last chapter was chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. He's closing his prayer for the church, which we actually looked at last week. Uh, in his closing prayer, he, he says that he would pray that we would grow in the grace and the goodness of God and that we would follow God's will all of our lives. Ultimately, that we would center our lives around Jesus. In verse 20, he reminds us of God's ability to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we ask or think. Now, exceedingly abundantly is a very interesting phrase in chapter three, verse 20. Now, that's some very interesting wording. And when I think of abundant, I don't know about you, but I don't think of just enough. I think of above and more than enough. When I think of abundance, I think I've got an overflowing extra. But then he adds exceedingly to the word abundantly. Exceedingly is exceptional or extraordinary. Uh, he shows us that God's ability to provide for us is, is more than just adequate. It's mind-bogglingly, bugling, wow, I, you know, I rehearsed this this morning. And you know of words that you can't say that you put down on paper, you're like, I can say this in my mind, but when my words come out of my mouth, bogglingly, there you go, more than we could or should ever expect. God can provide so much more, it would blow our minds, is what he's trying to say. It's not just adequate, what God can do for us. It, it'd blow your mind, how much, because of the way he puts this. And that's a really great place for us to start. So first, we have God's ability. And then here he states in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, I beseech you. So we have God's ability plus you. But where does that lead to? It leads to our calling, just as the verse states. Ultimately, verse 2 ends with bearing with one another, meaning the whole point is to live and serve one another. So if we put the math problem together, his analogy is God's ability— Plus you equals serving others. And this is what Paul is calling us to. He says, therefore, God's ability is in you. He can actually work through you. And it's enabling you to be of service to those around you, to serve others. Paul is telling us that the items on the list that we just have been memorizing for our memory verse aren't just for our benefit, but also so that we could use them to serve those around us. We are to use those abilities to serve those around us. So then what are the things that he has on his list? Well, if you look at verse, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, you're going to see uh, that there's lowliness, as we've been memorizing. There's gentleness. There's long-suffering. And then there's bearing with one another in love. Now, that list, if you uh, hear these things and you say them out loud, um, it sounds a lot like another list that he said to us in Galatians. um, And that list was the fruits of the Spirit. We covered that when we went through the book of Galatians. Now, when I'm working through a passage... uh, I often like to look at it through a couple of different translations. In all reality, the different translations help you get a good idea of, of what the wording really is trying to convey in its thought process. So we're actually going to look at uh, verses 1 and 2 in the New Living Translation, or the NLT, uh, and I'm going to read them out loud for you. So this is the same memory verses that we've been doing uh, in the New King James, but in the New Living, and he says, "'Therefore I, a prisoner, for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling.'" For you have been called by God, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Now through the NLT, we see that Paul isn't commanding us. Like the New King James has this word beseech, and beseech almost sounds like a thou shalt. But it's not really a thou shalt, it's more of a I beg you, please, I'm pleading with you, please consider these things. Be worthy of the calling that God has given you. He's pleading with us to purposefully choose to step into the life that God is calling us towards, to the life that we are being offered by our Heavenly Father. Now, you may not realize it to its full extent, as most people won't come out and say this, but if people around you know that you're a Christian, if people know you're a Christian, they're evaluating you constantly. And they're trying to see if your words and actions line up. And if you've been a Christian any amount of time, you probably have understood this. If they don't go to church, as unfortunately most Americans these days do not go to church, when they find out that you were here today, they're gonna look at you and they're gonna judge all other churchgoers by your actions and your words because you are now the representative of Christ to them. And you're gonna say, well, hold up, wait a second. That's not what I signed on for when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I, I, didn't, I didn't sign up to be the poster boy for Christianity. Um, It may not be but this is part of the package deal of becoming a follower of God and stepping into a relationship with Jesus Christ Unfortunately, there are many Christians who act just as surprised that the people start judging them as those folk Congratulations, if you're a Christian, you are officially those folk But people start judging you and they you get attached to a label whether you deserve it or not people view you through a label Um, now There are other people that, you know, they joined the army and they say, you know, well, I joined the army for the military to pay my way through college. And then they get surprised when they go to war. And unfortunately, like those in the military who joined for the free tuition, we have to expect to go to war. As Christians, we also will be accosted and people will come against us eventually. We may have joined for the love of Christ and we serve for that same love and we'll be attacked for that same love. So point two today, we are going to be looking at God's character and your body, God's character and your body. So what is it exactly that we are being called toward? What's the expectation of the calling that Paul is referencing in verses 1 and 2? In these first couple of verses, Paul lists four character traits which we're actually going to break down and look at today. Uh, These are things that should be in our daily lives as we are working and growing to become the change that God wants to see in the world. So let's break them down. Here we go. Lowliness. lowliness is our first one, as we've been memorizing over these last couple of weeks. Lowliness or humility is having a humble nature, and in all reality, it is the flagship Christian virtue. Of all the virtues that there is, humility is like, it's the banner one. Um, every other quality really hinges on this humility, this humbleness uh, or lowliness. It it either enables absolutely everything else that follows or, or it doesn't. So if you have humility, everything else will follow after your humility, your lowliness. Um, Paul will say in Philippians 2.3, I'm going to quote uh, Philippians 2.3, he says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than himself. See, our example of humility is first and foremost, it's found in Jesus Christ. Completely contrary to the nature of our Savior, our American culture will push uh, self-prominence. We idolize fame and fortune in our popular culture. Uh, We seek the center stage and all of the attention and the spotlight in Jesus On the other hand, when crowds became too large, he started giving them really hard teachings and he cut down the crowd. Jesus, when he got tired, he took extended stays away from them, diminishing his time. People now, if they don't have a daily tweet, they're like, oh no, I've lost all my followers. Jesus continued to try to get away from that. He didn't want this huge mass of random people following him for no reason whatsoever. He took expended breaks away. Now, continuing on in Philippians, just a couple verses down, uh, from what I quoted, we read these words. Paul says these words of thinking of lowliness. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient even to the point of death, the death on the cross. Okay, so the second quality, we looked at lowliness. The second one is gentleness. Now in the old King James, you'll probably read this word as meekness. You've probably heard the word meekness before. Often meekness or gentleness are misunderstood and people think of them as weakness. People like, oh, you're, you're meek, so you must be weak. The word and its corresponding nature actually kind of more correspondingly, they go with mildness more than anything else. It's actually a mildness to your nature. In the Old Testament, Moses is actually described with this very word. Moses is a very mild man. But there are times in his life where he is clearly not weak. Think of the account of when he comes down off mount, when he's spent time with God, he's got the two Ten commandments in his hand and he sees his brother of all people leading the people in idol worship. What does he do? He throws the tablets down, smashes them. The things that were written, literally a gift from God. God wrote them with his own finger, smashes them on the ground, has very choice and specific words with them. Uh, I'll let you read the account. Um, But he goes through and eventually, even as part of the punishment, he has them grind up the golden statue and then combine it with water and drink it, which would have been horrible tasting. And then it wouldn't have been so great coming out the other side either. He was not a meek person who was weak. This is contrary, completely contrary to the idea that we often heap upon gentleness. Jesus also displayed great gentleness throughout his life. And when you think of gentleness in Jesus, the scene that probably doesn't come to mind when you're thinking of gentleness, you probably don't think of the time where he actually took all the random cords that were laying down and he made a whip and he started driving the money changers out by whipping them and flipping over the tables. But he's still described as the epitome of gentleness. Doesn't mean that he's weak. That means he has a mild nature. Moses and Jesus both had that mild nature. Jesus still has ultimate authority at all times, and he could have snapped his fingers and snapped out of oblivion those who persecuted him, but he didn't. He didn't stop those who came against him and illegally held a trial against him, who whipped him for absolutely no reason of his own. He showed ultimate restraint in choosing not to use a power that he had rightfully so and an authority that he had but rather he served in love those who were persecuting him. He showed gentleness. The third one is long-suffering, long-suffering. Sounds a bit, if you kind of flip uh, around, it says to suffer long, right? To suffer long. The word actually is better translated patience. In some other translations, it's patience. Though trying to have patience at time can feel like you're suffering for a very long time, if you've ever tried to have patience. Um, Anyone here willing to admit that they can tend to have a short fuse, a little bit shorter than you uh, like to admit? Uh, You know, you'd like, I'd like to have a little bit longer. Learning patience is learning to give up having a short temper. It's learning to actually have a long temper, which sounds kind of funny, but really that's what it is. It's to be able to hold on to that for a much longer time. We are called as Christians away from having a short fuse. In the book of Numbers, we're reminded that the Lord is slow to anger in Numbers 14, 18. That he forgives our sin and our rebellion. This doesn't mean that he just excuses the guilty and he lets them off with a very quick, I'm sorry. You ever hear somebody that's always like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But they don't really mean it. God doesn't allow that. No, but he is gracious enough. And he's slow enough to react to give us time to actually truly repent from our sins. That's the whole reason why he's slow to react. Sometimes you're like, God, why is all of this evil going on? In all reality, what God says in his own word is that he is waiting. And he is giving us time to repent and to turn back to him. It's not that he's wanting the evil to continue. He's giving us an opportunity. Think of your own life. Why did God wait so long to intervene Especially, I mean, if you had some of the childhood things or the teenage rebellion or uh, I was the Marine Corps rebellion, some of the things that I did, why didn't God interact sooner? He was waiting. He was allowing me to come to my own senses and to turn back to him. The author James echoes these words as Christians and he says, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Ultimately, James is calling his readers to echo God's love. That we would have that same love that God has towards us, towards each other. And that we should reflect that to those around us. So the final one here is bearing with one another in love. Bearing with one another in love. And pretty much that's exactly what it sounds like. The other ones have uh, slightly better translations. If you replace the word in here in this phrase uh, with the uh, words because of, it would read bearing with one another because of love bearing one another because of love. It means that we learn to bite our tongue when we feel like the other person desperately needs a verbal whooping. Uh, you, you ever had somebody that just, you just you, you're chomping at the bit and you're ready to tell them uh, the truth because they've gotten it so clearly wrong? Uh, this is bearing with one another in love and showing that restraint and learning to hold back. Now, is it easy to hold your tongue when you know that they are completely wrong? No, no, it's not. Absolutely not. However, it's what we're called to do. Jesus was falsely accused. Like I said earlier, he was illegally put on trial. And his accusers, they slandered him. They slandered his name. And he said nothing. He only opened his mouth to defend the father, which is actually a very interesting thing to read through uh, in his trial and what he says and what he doesn't say specifically. He had every right to open his mouth and put them correct to say the truth, to say what was right. But he chose, because of his love for them, to keep his mouth closed. Because he loved the people who were persecuting him, those who were literally putting him on a false trial for death. He loved them so much he kept his mouth closed. What is interesting is that The list is actually building as it progresses, this list of these four things that we've been looking at. We started with loneliness or humility, and where I said everything else builds off of it, because you can't display gentleness without first being humble. You can't wait patiently unless you have humility and gentleness, and you definitely can't keep your mouth closed when somebody offends you if you don't have the other three qualities starting to bud up in your life. We need those, and it's a progression in our lives. But the list doesn't actually stop here. Paul moves on from these individual qualities and he actually shows us an ultimate goal. He's actually going towards a larger picture. These qualities, he sums up with these words in the first set. He says, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You see, Paul's ultimate goal for each of us in verse 3 is that we would endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You see, it's the spirit of God that actually binds us together and it tears down the barriers that keep us isolated as individuals, but only if we let him. This is how Paul launches us into our final point today. Our final point is becoming one. So world peace. Everyone is looking for world peace. If we could just, if we could just all get along, if we could all just love one another, Um, then the evil would just suddenly disappear in the world and everything would be right, right? It'd all be hunky-dory. Well, no. Uh, Unfortunately, that's, you know, as much as peace would be a great thing, but there's an underlying problem that we often forget to talk about, and that is our sin nature. And that has to be dealt with. The real problem is our sin nature. Without dealing with that sin nature, we will turn back to our old ways. We will become self-centered once again. Paul recognizes this, and he points to the next couple of verses. I'll put them on the screen. He says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. Okay, so to find unity for humanity, there is only one hope, and that is our faith in Jesus Christ. He begins with the word one body. What Paul is saying is that there is one body of the church as a whole, from Pentecost all the way to rapture. As long as you have put your faith in Jesus Christ alone, whether you belong to the Catholic denomination, the Lutheran denomination, the Baptist denomination, you are all still one body despite some of your doctrinal differences because we have one faith in Jesus Christ alone to be Savior, and ultimately we are one church that God is building. He says that there is one Spirit, and that same Spirit baptizes each and every single one of us into the family of God. It's the same Spirit that brings us together. Despite the fact that the church today seems so divided on what the Spirit does and does not do, and there are some pretty big divisions, it's the work of the Holy Spirit that unifies all believers. As it's said here in Scripture, the Spirit's work is to actually bring us together under one banner. And this is what Paul is saying is to endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. He's saying that we also have to do our part. He's saying, hey, the Spirit's going to do his part to bring you together. But really, if you're endeavoring, it means you've got to do your part as well. You can't just assume he's going to do all the heavy lifting. Paul says we have one hope because there is no other gospel. There is only one gospel. There is no other way to get to heaven than through Jesus Christ. You cannot have your sins forgiven by the good things that you do apart from confessing them to God alone. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to be looking at this one and then we will be kind of wrapping everything up. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to look 3 through 8. Give you just a second here. This is what Paul is telling the people. He's reminding them, this is what I heard, and this is what I'm passing on to you. Verse 3, he says, For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas and then by the twelve, and that he was seen over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present. Basically, he's saying they're still alive. Some have fallen asleep. Basically, he's saying they died. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. And the last of all, he was seen by me also, one born out of due time. This is what we are called to believe is truth. I was saying that there is one gospel. And this is Paul kind of putting that gospel down on the paper, saying that it comes from the scriptures that we are to believe what is said. It's in these events that Jesus died and rose again according to the scriptures. Or as you know, another way to put it is, as was prophesied about. Um, We are to believe in these things, that there is one baptism in the family of Jesus Christ. By saying one baptism, he's saying that we can't lose our salvation. You can't fall out of this baptism. You are baptized once into the family of God. There are not multiple baptisms. He's saying there is only one, and you are in it. Once you trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you are part of the family forever, whether you like it or not. Some families we are part of, we don't always like, and that happens, but... It is a good thing, and that there is one baptism, and over time, and we never lose our salvation. And he finishes his remark with one God and Father of all. As God is the Father of believers, He is the Father of all those who believe, we have one Father. Our faith in Christ has made us co-heirs with Christ, and God is now our Heavenly Father. The sonship that we have is only given to those who believe. He is not the father of unbelievers. He is not the random father. God is not the father of those who do not believe in him. We are called to a great and heavenly calling. And yes, life's going to have its ups and downs, but who wants a static and flat life? There's a famous comedian that says, if I could describe life with Jesus in one word, it would be interesting. And he says, it's never quite what you expect, but it's also never dull. God goes up and down with us through all the highs and the lows. And though our lives can look crazy and out of control at times, he is still in control and he is with us through absolutely everything. Now today we've been looking at Paul's instructions to each of us. And I think the words of Colossians 1.10 sum up today's message very well. That if you walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. God is calling us to live lives that are defined by the way we choose to love those around us. Today, we looked at Paul's list, and he pleads with us, each and every single one of us, to allow God to work through us. We are to be putting on display uh, humility, gentleness, and patience, that we would bear with one another in love. And it's all because of this work of love that we would show the world the unifying work of the Holy Spirit within us. God has called you to become a servant of others, to love them in such a way that your words and actions display him working through you. This doesn't mean that all of a sudden you're going to agree with everyone that's around you. <laughs> uh, I've been a believer for a couple of years now and uh, uh, you'd be very disappointed to find out that it doesn't mean that everything's perfect. But God is still working on us and that's part of the reason why he still has us here. We learn to stern firmly on the truth. We don't waver. We learn to have patience with those that we might disagree with. And today I've got two closing questions for you. I've got two closing questions. Number one, What qualities am I allowing God to show through me? What qualities am I allowing God to show through me? If people know you are a Christian, that you go to church, your life's on display. Everybody who knows that you go to church that does not believe in God, some of those who do believe in God, they're gonna be looking at you. What is it that you've been displaying to them? What do they think of God because of what you have showed them? What do they think of God because of what you have showed them? Are you controlled by anger? Are you short tempered? Do you show love in the way that you respond? My second question is this How much joy do I find in serving others? How much joy do I find in serving others? Life is for service. If you've accepted Christ as Savior, you've been called to serve others in love, to bring them towards a relationship with Him. Do you find joy in serving others? God has asked this of you. Do you find it a burden? I want to close today slightly different than normal. There was a passage that really stuck out to me when I was doing this reading and I actually, you ever been in one of those churches where they stood up and they read the verse together? I actually want to stand up and read this verse together and then I'll close in prayer. So if you guys would stand up, we're gonna do this one slightly different. This is a little bit of a longer passage, but I think this sums up the entire message extremely well. And it's always wonderful to read scripture. So here we go, it says this, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Jesus Christ is our model for the way we are to live our lives. He modeled this first and foremost so that we could follow after him. I'm just asking that you step up to the calling and become worthy of what he is calling us to. I'm gonna close in prayer. Father, I just thank you so much for your word. I thank you that it rings true in our lives. It gives us direction and calls us to conviction. And Father, I ask that today as we leave this place, we walk worthy of the calling in which we are called. Father, help us to be people who are humble, to be lowly in our estate and meek and mild, but Lord, help us to be powerful in our word and action that we stand on the truth and do not waver. Help us to show other people patience and to bear with them in love. Father, I ask that you help us to grow. Forgive us when we fall short and help us to continue to pursue you all of our days. In Jesus' name, amen. Mr. Mike. Hey, this is Pastor Jake. I just wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening to these messages that we put online. I do pray that these are helpful for the times you just can't be with us in person. I want to remind you that this recording is never meant to substitute God's good plan for you to be in a community of faith where the Word of God is being preached and proclaimed. We are told by Scripture to gather together so that we each belong to a local body of believers where we are being shaped by being known by using each of our gifts and walking faithfully in God's word. So thank you again so much for listening and growing with us. I hope you enjoyed today's message.